Last week, we did part two in a series called In a God We Can Trust, building a case uh, for a God we can actually trust. And uh, this idea of which God is becoming a bigger and bigger question in our world. Um, it's raising questions within the church, which I'm going to talk about in just a few moments. Um, and I think we need to be honest and address them and have these conversations because if you're in a place where a, a fellowship of believers where you're not allowed to question, not allowed to ask questions, that is a problem. It has to be a, a family growing together. The pastor is not the power tripper in charge of everything, okay? There's a role of a leader, it's great, but not dictator. Sorry, we work in the context of a family. And our Heavenly Father is the parent. Jesus is the one we submit to. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. I get to do this job. I love doing it. This Sunday morning thing is really great. I put a lot of time into Sunday mornings, but that's only part of the time. The rest of the time is caring for people. Loving people, hearing, doing administration, yay, you know, <laughs> that stuff. It's all that's necessary in order for us to continue doing this. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. But in my conversations with people, I get to hear some real questions. I get to hear, yeah, but what about this? Even uh, on Friday morning at our Grounds and Grace group, oh, sweet Elizabeth, <laughs> you're awesome. She asked a question about previous Sunday sermon. You know, and it was wonderful because there was a safe context to have that discussion. And I'm, I guarantee she felt safe enough to ask, knowing full well there would be zero negative judgment. It was, in fact, it was a great question. And we continued through that. And that happens often. Again, that's the freedom of trust being built. You know? So thank you, Janet Barrington, for launching that idea. Like, it's become one of my favorite things at Hope Fellowship. And somebody even suggested, why don't we do one midweek in the evening for those that can't come on Friday mornings? So we'll, we'll, we'll dance through that to see and see if there's a need. You know, who wants that? So I don't know. It, it's pretty cool. But it brings us back to the point of who is this God we say we trust in. In our world, we have a lot of people who don't believe in God. They don't believe in the religious God. I sat with a family, at a, funeral, a funeral family just this week who said, you know, we're, we don't go to church because I know I can talk to God. Right now, I don't need the church to go do that with because all they've done is give me rules to follow on top of that. Okay, welcome to our culture right now why this is so important. So a couple weeks ago, I began with building a case because I want us to have a case to trust that this God we say we believe in uh, matters. So we talked about the source that we can trust. We talked a bit about the scriptures. Um, sometime we'll talk about how we got our scriptures, because that's a wild story. Yes. Yeah, you can almost hear the country music in the background from John Wayne way back. Anyway, um, healthy church history is something we do need to look back at. The early church fathers, not from the 1600s. Not the 1600s. Those are not our early church fathers. First five centuries are. Okay, that's where we get the most and strongest foundation of what the early church believed about who God was, who the Trinity is, uh, heaven, hell, you name it, salvation. Uh, your minds would be blown at the conversations they had. So going back to history is really important. Then we started talking about the person we can trust. Let's, let's take a look at this Jesus. We say we believe him. And I believe he has the greatest opinion for us. He is God's opinion. Okay? He came to reveal 
God to us and finally correct all these false or, not say false, let me use a better word, uh, incomplete understandings of who the Father is, okay? All of us have incomplete understandings of who God is. None of us have it right. Jesus does. So he's the one we look to for our authority and the one who will be walking with us, in us, through us, and guiding us in our thinking and teaching to discover who the Father is, a God we can trust in because he trusted his heavenly Father. We can too. So we laid out some verses that, that really showed a great case for it. Then we started teaching through this. Um, a pattern we can trust. Verses that prove how God sees us. There are some verses in Scripture where there's only one verse and sometimes a whole doctrine is built around a single verse. And sometimes you can, okay, is that really what it said? What about the original language? The person who interpreted it or translated into English, it was their interpretation of the words they used there and that's what we've locked into. Oh my goodness, you can go to town on some of this stuff. One verse, it has power. It's It's fine. But what if there's two, or three, or four, or five? You go, wait a minute, there's a bit of a pattern here, a repetition of something we can trust. And we, we covered God loves us, loves all of humanity. Repetition throughout the scriptures. So clearly there's a pattern that cannot be argued with, that God loves everybody. Does that make sense? Well, there are some other topics that also have multiple verses laying a pattern about who God is and how he sees us that we need to visit. Last week we ended with this, a pattern of trust, how God sees everyone. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, which many, many, many non-believers think today. They still think you now have to do something to get saved, all right, like the, and maintain. You have to, it's even, okay, believers even think you got to maintain your salvation by what you do because you're going to lose your salvation by acting the wrong way because you have so much power. You caught that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Oh, but I have preached to Africa and Australia. I've gone to the ends of the earth. I've almost died ten times. I've healed. I've raised the dead. You can brag all you want. That doesn't mean a thing. In fact, if you have to brag about it, there's a bit of a problem. That doesn't sound like the humility of Christ because you are self-promoting, and I am learning a tough tough lesson in that world. This last six months have been a very big eye-opener for me about how to communicate certain things. You know, anyway, I'll leave that for another time. I forget that another time. For we are God's masterpiece. He has, past tense, created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. The Passion Translation says it like this. For it was only through this wonderful grace, this grace, that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. Wow. It was the gracious gift that brought us to Christ. Brought us to Christ, not us finding Christ. I saw a hilarious cartoon of two men in suits at the door of a house, and they say, have you found Jesus? And there's some footprints, or foot feet sticking up from behind a curtain, it's Jesus. <laughs> Have you found Jesus? Get it? 
He's not lost. It's the other way around. Jesus finds us, for we are his children. The mindset has got to change. So how do we continue this pattern of trust? Because apparently people are starting to lose their faith, and some big names lately have come out, at least big names in the Christian world. You know, that's a funny thing right there. Um, I think, who's the, who's the guy who wrote the book, um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye? Joshua, Joshua Harris or something like that. Yeah, I think that's him. So he wrote a book saying, hey, no more dating, bad, you know, save yourself, get married, then go do your thing, you know, and whatever. And two years ago, he started to challenge that. And then I just read something online. It says, I don't believe that part anymore. I still value in relationships, but I do believe dating is really, really helpful and important for social development. Well, you just messed up a whole ton of people. <laughs> you know, because so many people gave their lives to that book. And in the Christian world, everybody, especially religious leaders who loved good rules, used that book as the thumbprint, had Bible studies for all the young adults. You know, it was like a way to thump a rule into your head. Well, he has apparently, I think not, he's walked away from, I call it churchianity, but he calls it Christianity. And that really messed up a lot of people, and people were pretty upset. And so now somebody else has just come out and said, I'm walking away from my faith. And the guy's name is Marty Sampson from Hillsong. Anybody know that name? So my wife told me about Jeff Turner, who made a post. Jeff Turner is a great grace teacher. Young man, just he's only three hours from us here in Michigan. Really, really good guy. Okay, if you ever see or hear any of his teaching, YouTube it. He is worth listening to. I love his heart. He's not a self promoter. Okay, he's not trying to grow into a big ministry. He is sharing passionately the love of Christ as he can, as he's working, doing whatever. Really good guy. But he wrote something about people leaving the faith. And this, again, this all ties into this which God are they walking away from? So I'd like to read this to you. You may not catch all this, and I'll uh, post this later again uh, online. So here's what Jeff said, and it's the very last line that's the best, but I'm going to make you listen to the whole thing because that's what I do. <laughs> you know, there's a lot here. So listen carefully to this advice from a young man, young, much younger than me. So Marty Sampson of Hillsong fame is the latest well-known Christian leader to announce their departure. This will inevitably lead to hundreds of pastors pounding their pulpits this Sunday, warning of deception, a great falling away, and how we should return to a faith that never asks questions or dares to wrestle with its object. But dear God, could we maybe not? Could we cool it with this tired old routine? I mean, have you seen the mess many of these leaders mistook? mistook for Christianity? I say good on them for flying the coop. <laughs> Usually we get all upset when, oh no, there's another strong person I looked up to, and man, I had so much faith in them. In who? In them. Again, this is, uh, I get it. I have done that and didn't realize it until a falling away happened. And so, <gasps> wow, I didn't realize I had that much faith in a person. I say good on them for flying the coop. 
And while, sure, where they go from there, here is still to be seen, you and I are not the Holy Spirit. For one, and so can't really change much getting a righteous dander up about it. <laughs> and two, one has to leave behind the nonsense, um, sorry, one has to leave behind the nonsense when it is clearly seen to be such. For them to stay would be dishonest and represent an abhorrent attack of integrity. Is that what we want from our Christian leaders? Men and women who will robotically toe the company line to stay out of hot water and keep your job. And do we want this because their integrity-less, cowardly staying would keep our idols intact, allowing us to hide from the reality that the faith we think is made of adenometium. Now, I had to look that up, and apparently Marvel Comics has this uh, fictitious metal uh, apparently um, Wolverine had these things come out of him, and it's a steel that can't be broken, like super strong. So those who think that faith is so strong, because this person's walking away, oh no, what's going on, may actually be more durable and resilient to uncrushable, or their faith is more uncrushable like a potato chip. Maybe our faith isn't as strong as we thought. Maybe we've had faith in faith. Maybe we've had faith in people and all their opinions, and all oh, as long as they believe that, oh, I believe it. Oh, yeah, I got it. I got it. I don't have to think anymore because they've got it. I can at least use them as a resource. They've got it online. If a question comes up, I can look it up later if I have to, and yet that leader stops. Now what do you do? You've had your faith in their faith, not your faith, who should be in Christ. Sometimes even a baptism into full-on atheism is better than being shackled by our fundamentalism. At least there, a purging and a smashing of idols can occur. And maybe the person can begin from scratch. As a French philosopher, Simone Weil wisely wrote, there are two atheisms of which one is a purification of the notion of God. <laughs> Sometimes we have to let people walk the path God has laid out for them or which they choose, and God patiently, sometimes quietly, chooses to walk with them. Remember, God never abandons us, never leaves us. Hmm. All this angst, outrage, pearl-clutching, and righteous indignation is just silly, stupid even. People grow. People outgrow. People change. Nothing about the human soul is all that static, and that said, just because a person is here now doesn't mean they will be in a few years. Furthermore, us hurling stones or accusations and badly exegeting gospel grenades their way isn't helping the cause. Oh my goodness, the, the comments people make. You know, oh, you've lost your faith, you're now going to hell. Oh no, the, your faith was never real and all this baloney as if they have an opinion. <laughs> so... If anything, you just end up ensuring they'll never return with all your rants, which may be a good thing, because maybe they, what they left was never Christianity to start with. In a word, here it is, chill. Let people journey their journeys, and let the God of the journey take care of the rest. Not only is that important when we hear of others wrestling with their faith wherever they are at, 
But for you, personally, when you have questions, chill. Journey the journey. God is in charge of your journey. He's got you. He's got you protected, whether you believe or not. This is why this is so important. Because what has been deemed Christianity is really churchianity. It's become more about a system, a controlled environment where things are predictable, safe enough for those who are in. If you're an outsider, forget it. Good luck trying to peck your way into the pecking order. Okay? I want to talk about the real grace of Christ that is for all people and reveal the good news. And one of the things that has not been made clear in Christianity, in the Christian faith, as a believer in Christ, is this idea of reconciliation. What does it even mean? Most people don't know what it means. I heard we've been reconciled, and everybody goes, Amen! What the heck does that mean anyway? I'll Google it, hold on. You know, nobody knows what it means. Well, today I want to make a case, a pattern that proves and shows we have been reconciled, but we're going to begin with some definitions. And if you think I'm repeating too much, or if you, because I will be using multiple verses and we are not going to finish today, I absolutely know it. I'm ready for next week now. Woohoo! If you only knew how many slides I have. <laughs> Sarah knows. <laughs> but in school, when you're studying a certain text, or personal study, or preparing for a message, you're going to look at multiple verses, multiple translations. I'm inviting you in. Why, why do I take that away from you? When I needed it to wake up and be excited, I'm sharing with you how I have seen and arrived because I think it lays a stronger foundation for you not to trust me, but to trust the Scriptures. And the author of the scriptures, the inspirer of what it means, not necessarily what it just says in any English language. So let's take a look at this reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations, which means they probably weren't friendly. Something happened. How many have relationships that are no longer friendly? I do. Yep, we all do. So another synonym for restoration or reconciliation is reuniting, reunion, bringing back together again, conciliation, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, reconcilement. The antonyms, the opposite of reconciliation is estrangement, alienation, feud, incompatible. Alienation is a word used in Scripture. We were once alienated from God, past tense. We're incompatible. We can't see. We're incompatible to believe this God we say we believe in because of whatever darkness is in our minds or our own misconceptions of what we've come to believe. Reconciliation, the action of making one view or belief compatible with another. The action of making it possible. Jesus did that for us. He did the work of reconciliation. He did the work of making it compatible for us. The action of making financial accounts consistent and harmonization. So it's a, it's a banking term. It's an accounting term. When you reconcile your books, uh, you have all these numbers coming in and out, um, and not all of them have been processed, but you still have to reconcile where are we at, assuming certain transactions are going to happen, and there's your real number. Most people don't want to see that reconciliated number, <laughs> especially in their own bank account, <laughs> and matching it up with a checkbook. But it, what it does is it's making a correct 
final answer to what is existent in the data. That's a financial reconciliation. And it's a really great connection to biblical reconciliation. Let's keep going. I'm going to keep dealing with definition here. Reconciliation comes from the Latin reconcilianto. It's like a very, very good Italian pasta dish. You know? That's what I got out of it. Anyway, it's about reestablishing, reinstatement, restoration. We just restored our bathroom, one of our bathrooms in the main floor at home. And it was a, it's a 140-year-old house. And uh, that bathroom needed to be gutted. So we gutted it, and we have restored it with a new look, a new layout, but it's been, it, the restoration has happened. It's now fully functional and usable and looks so much nicer. So restoration, renewal, a reconciling. We talked about that. Conciliation. This is, a, this is an important thing to remember. It is the action of bringing peace and harmony. The action of ending strife. It's an action that you didn't do. God did. Reconcile. So reconciliation is a word, but let's take a look at the word reconcile. Okay, you already covered it, Mike. Come on now. Sorry. This is important. Watch. Reconcile is to restore friendly relations between, cause to coexist in harmony. Cause. God caused the ability to coexist in harmony with him. He fixed the blindness, took it out, or to show or to make compatible. Synonyms for reconcile is to make compatible, harmonize, square, make harmonious, synthesize, uh, make congruent, cause to be in agreement, cause, cause, cause to be in agreement. When God wakes this up in you, a light will come on and go, I see it, I am one. I'm reconciled. Oh, he caused you the ability to recognize what is and what has already happened. I love it. Synonyms, reunite, bring back, uh, together again, restore, friend. Anyway, there we go. But that's, that's where the word reconcile comes in. And both words are going to be used in, uh, uh, in the scriptures. You'll see. Stuart Johnson from Paracoresis in Australia gave me, gave me permission to use this. When I asked him about how he sees or views reconciliation, this is what he sent to me, and it's beautiful and it's deep. He doesn't do anything shallow. Everything he does. He's like Baxter Kruger in many ways. A deep, deep, deep thinker, all right? It's put together carefully. I see reconciliation, an event which occurred at the Incarnation. In Jesus Christ, God joined himself via his own humanity to the entire human race. We're going to see that in the scripture shortly. As the angels announced to the shepherds of Jesus' birth, peace on earth, goodwill to all who believe and say the prayer. That's not what he said. Peace on earth and goodwill in all humanity to the world. It is this act of of becoming flesh is an act of utterly staggering and astonishing love towards us that before we knew of it, he had already joined himself to us. His resurrection and ascension is the telos of bringing the completion and perfection, the reconciliation of God and humanity in Christ Jesus. This cannot be undone. 
just as much as God cannot unincarnate himself. It's a done deal. Next, William Barclay. I know I was told not to read him in Bible college. <laughs> you know what happens when a professor says, oh, don't read that person. They're all liberal. They're all this. I'm going to read them. <laughs> so what do they say? What do they have to say? It's, it's how it works in churches. When the pastor says, don't watch that movie, guess where all their people are the next Tuesday night, the cheap night? They're watching that movie because, <laughs> oh, what is it? It's very funny. Anyway, this is, this is a great quote from his uh, commentary. Um, the pardon was for our benefit. The effect of the cross, at least in the sphere of the thought of Paul, was on man, not God. The effect of the cross was on man, not God. Because God came to change our minds about him. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. That's what we've been told through most of our upbringing in, in the church world. Uh-uh. <laughs> this, is, this is true. I love this. The effect of the cross changed not the heart of God, but the heart of man. It was, okay, woman too, so don't, don't be playing this gender thing with me, okay? This is male, female, whatever. If I can be the bride of Christ, you can be a man of God. Okay, like... <laughs> Don't do that. You understand the intent. Mankind. It was humanity who needed to be reconciled, not God. It is entirely against all Pauline thought to think of Jesus Christ pacifying an angry God. Or to think that in some way God's wrath was turned to love and God's judgment was turned to mercy because of something which Jesus did. It's like God's ready to beat the pulp out of humanity, and Jesus says, I got you. No, no, no. Hit me instead. Here, here. Smack me. Beat me to a pulp. Oh, I'll do it for, for humanity. And then God's done off. Okay, I feel better now. All right, turn around. Y'all are okay, but because of him, still a load of sinners. But I'm going to look at you through Jesus, because, oh. This is... That picture is the gospel, which is not a gospel, it's supposed to be good news, is what we have been told. And it's not true. I challenge you because I'm going to show, again, I've been showing you patterns of scriptures that point to good news. Yeah, but what about that verse? Put that yeah, but aside for now and deal with the ones they're staring at. Believe what is clear. And don't mix covenants, which happens all the time. Let's keep going here. Uh, where was I? Yeah. When we look at it in Paul's way, it was man's sin which was turned to penitence, man's rebellion which was turned to surrender, man's enmity which was turned to love by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It cost that cross to make that change in the hearts of humanity. What Jesus did at that cross is so big you can't sing, I'm underwhelmed, I'm underwhelmed by you. You can't. You, you have to be overwhelmed. It's like, what? He really did that for me. He did that for the person I can't stand. He did it for my child who currently is not believing. Because a lot of parents think that. They're, they're worried about their kids not coming to faith. God did that already. He's got them. Will you relax? 
Your love for your kid is to be unconditional, not conditional so they'll come to become a Christian. Stop that. Because the Christian that you're trying to get them to become, I tell you, the world of Christianity, the way it's presented in some circles, some, many folks don't want anything to do with that. Give me authentic Jesus. Bring me to the end of myself. Like we talked about that phrase um, from uh, Jeff Turner. He said, it's better to become a full-on atheist. And if you remember carefully, we've talked about moving beyond an angry God. So this angry deity that's really ticked off uh, doesn't even exist. In the middle is a chair that Baxter Kruger and Paul Young and Steve McVeigh had on, on their one conference. There was a stool in the middle. That stool was atheism. And that atheism is the gift from moving from there to here. You don't believe in that God, but then we reveal the true love agape trinity. That is the God that tractor beams us. We can't help but see the love of God. That's the God. There are people who are walking away from faith, they're walking away from this image that doesn't exist, that systems have built. So when this guy from Hillsong says, I'm walking away from faith, oh, I'm for you, man, because you're probably in a really big system you could not break out of. You're forced to have to do the lights, the show, and if you dare say something against or challenge a simple thing. There's no room for thinking self. You're there for the mama-ship. That's not to say there isn't value in those places. That individual is going through it. Don't throw out the whole bathwater, okay? God's got that person on a great journey, like he has each of you on a journey. You'll unlearn and learn. Oh, my goodness, have we ever. It's beautiful. This, this is about a change that God does in us. God's mind never needs to be changed. Here's a good example from the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, did God know they ate the fruit before he came walking? Yes or no? Of course he knew. We preach that one well. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's all powerful. He's everywhere. Wait, he's where? He's everywhere. He was actually there, if you're going to be honest. Okay? But when God came to them that day, oh, wait, why would this even come up? Because some people believe we are so sinful, God can't handle sin. So when we sin, we are not, we're unapproachable. We have, we, we've, God's so holy, he can't handle our sin. So we have to go through the ritual. we got to pray, i got to pray. Please forgive me, please forgive me. Am I clean enough yet? Please forgive me, please forgive me. Okay, a little more in the back, okay. Please forgive me, please forgive me. Now I'm acceptable, all because of my prayer. Listen, God's not... Re- Sin does not freak him out, or he could not have become sin. And the Old Testament says, your eyes are too holy to look upon sin. That's the verse. See, it's biblical. Well, what about the next verse? (laughs) You just selectively stop? Because it says, so then why do you? (laughs) Yeah, keep reading. Jesus is the picture we go to. He is the source. Now we go back and read, discover God's force, not against us. You don't repel God. When Adam, Adam and Eve sinned, God walked into the garden knowing full what they did, full well what they did, and what did he do? Oh, when are you hiding? We're over here. Why are you hiding? We screwed up. Who told you? <laughs> he was going for them. If he was ticked, if God was ticked, he would not have entered the garden. After all I've done for them, look at how they repay me. They disobey me. 
once. Do we love our kids after the first disobedience? <laughs> yes is the right answer. <laughs> As a kid, I, was, I had the spiritual gift of, you know, misbehaving. And so I did it a lot. So if Adam and Eve sinned once, and we think that is such a big, horrible thing that would separate them from God... God was not separated from them. He went for them knowing full well. He went in to rescue them. And then, when he got them out of the garden, it was not a punishment, which we have been told it was. I used to preach that. It was a rescue mission to protect them from, and I believe this, to rescue them from eating from the tree of life and still remain forever in that state of blindness, not being able to see God loves them. They couldn't see it. They only saw themselves as shameful, dirty, ugly. And that blindness has stuck. And then when the cross came, he took that, changed it, reconciled us, made us right, took away the blinders. 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to stop here. I think I've only gone four slides. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, and please look this stuff up. In fact, go ahead, do your own study real quick. Type in reconciled in Scripture or Bible verses on reconciliation. You'll come up, you'll see these. I'm not making this up. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and that word if is not, well, if you are, the correct translation should be since. Okay? Really important. And you'll see some other translations that actually do say that. Therefore, since anyone is in Christ, everyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who, past tense, reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. There's a lot in here. You just chew through that one section by section and you're going to get blown away. God was in Christ. He was, he was not absent at the cross. God did not turn his back on his son at the cross. He was, in fact, in Christ when the reconciliation was taking place, and it was taking place on the cross. We covered this at Easter really well. But here's where it's coming from. So next week we're going to dig in some more because he didn't count the trespasses against them. Which, you know what? That, take that back through the Old Testament even. If, if, uh, if Adam and Eve sinned, he did not count that against them. He saw what it did to them because there are consequences to sinful actions and behaviors, and sinful thinking. Sinful thinking meaning not seeing yourself as Christ sees you and acting accordingly. Not seeing others as Christ sees them and not treating them the same way. It's missing the mark of your perfection. Hmm. Let's unpack this some more next week. But now you kind of have an idea of what the definition of reconciliation is, what it means to be reconciled. And you have been Reconciled. That hindrance that was preventing us from having a healthy relationship with God has now been removed. 
and you have been made a brand new creation in Christ. Man, that's good news. That's chandelier swinging stuff. Okay, not in this church. We're more conservative. <laughs> Besides, we don't have chandeliers. 